There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra. Now we're a little bit late this month. We normally try and get it out for the uh, the first weekend of the month, uh, which proves a bit difficult when you go from February into March, especially when it's a leap year because you've got the extra day and that just happened to be the first weekend. So it, it proves a bit difficult. And as you know from the previous TGP Nominal episode, uh, I've had some builders in. And Ross Hockham, who joins us from UK Astronomy, has also had uh, doing some work. So I'll bring him in and uh, he can explain what's going on. Hiya, Ross, how are you doing? Yeah, lots of work going on. So what was it you were doing a bathroom or having a bathroom fitted? So lots of banging and crashing. And then I was ripping out my kitchen and for refitting my kitchen <laughs> so I was doing exactly the same so yeah it's been a it's been a hard first week hasn't it really of March for us yeah it's it's always a bit weird as I say because uh, February being a short month you forget about it and you think oh I've got plenty of time to get something recorded before the end of the month it doesn't work out like that every February it, it's the same <laughs> Also, funny enough, being of the leap year, my wife's friend actually got married on the leap year. So they only celebrate it every four years. And it's also an easy day to remember. Yeah, you can't really, well, you could forget it because you'd be like, is it this year or is it next year? <laughs> but it makes it a bit more special, doesn't it, in a way? Yeah. Uh, my friend, one of my oldest friends, actually, his eldest daughter, she was actually born on February 29th. So in theory, she only has a birthday every four years. <laughs> that's that's bad luck, isn't it? <laughs> but it's easy to remember because a leap year is always an Olympic year. So if there's an Olympics on, oh, it must be her birthday. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? It's literally just because of Earth and its spin happens to be not the right... You know, nothing's perfect, is it? So they have to add on this extra day to make up for our lack of perfection with our spin and orbits yeah. and all that fun stuff. In the past, they, they kept changing it and moving things around on it and they were like, this doesn't work. <laughs> the seasons moved and everything, didn't they? And then that's adding yeah, an extra yeah. month or something. And, and, it, <laughs> and it's all, all to do with whichever Roman emperor was in charge at that time. Yeah. And it's the same with the months of the year because July, which is named after Julius Caesar, has 31 days in it. Originally, August had 28, 29 days. Yeah. But Caesar Augustus, which August is named after, <laughs> didn't like the fact that Julius Caesar had more days in his month than he did, so he wanted it to have 31 days as well, so they had to relegate one of the other months to have 28, 29 days and ended up with February. So it's all just politics again? Uh, pretty much. That's that's another story, isn't it? We're not, <laughs> we're not here to bash people for their... <laughs> their beliefs, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure what I believe in today will probably be absolutely poo-pooed later on in like 
50 years time and they find out about gravitational waves and can manipulate them and all that stuff they're going that Ross Hocker for UK astronomy he knew nothing did he <laughs> well you, you've only got to look at the fact that uh, you know when we were kids there were I hate saying this there were yeah. where were nine, nine planets yeah um, and we won't go down that route <laughs> well, I am I am going around when I talk to kids and that I do explain why Pluto's not a planet as you know because you've, you've come to one uh-huh. and at the end I always give them the choice right if Jupiter and Saturn have got all this stuff around them and haven't cleared their area should they be planets let's bring Pluto back shall we and they were like yay and I'm like yep and he's bringing 300 mates to him as well <laughs> so we're going to have a, a short break and when we come back well we're going to go into a better space talk Explorers. The same curiosity that sends us to the stars at the speed of thought urges us to go there in reality. And whenever we make a great new leap, we elevate humanity, bring people and nations together. new discoveries and new technologies so remember to look up at the stars and not down at your feet be curious I'm Chris Lintot, and you're listening to TGP Nominal. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. This month's going to be slightly different to all the others because usually we sit down and we go through the month, don't we, day by day almost, right on the 9th this is happening, on the 11th this is happening. But it just so happens that March is uh, Back Garden Astronomy Week, which I believe is the beginning of March. You just looked it up, didn't you? Is it the 2nd to the 9th, did you say? Yeah, 2nd to the 9th. So I thought, well, considering our motto at UK Astronomy is because there are a billion wells in your back garden, it's like we couldn't really talk this month without mentioning that it's Back Garden Astronomy Week. (laughs) So for us, it's fantastic because it means that groups all over the UK are actively going out and inspiring people to get into their gardens, looking up and learning about what's up there, which is exactly what we do and what we believe in. So I thought we'd just literally talk about going out into your back garden and looking up and what do you see and how can you get into it and all these sorts of bits and bobs and hopefully Mark can ask some questions about anything that he knows or likes or thinks that you know uh, you guys as beginners would like to know so really it's almost like a bog standard beginner's guide just to the skies so that hopefully someone might be listening to this and go cool yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna go and do this I'll go and have a look so how can you do this how can you actually get involved in astronomy it's really easy you walk out the doors on a clear night hopefully and you look up and you'll see there's loads of stars there you might not see as many if you're in a uh, town 
like Milton Keynes, like me, or London, but they're still there. There's still some really big bright ones. Uh, you'll see them twinkling in the sky. You can visually see that some are bigger, some are brighter, some are different colours. And the funny thing is, the more they twinkle, it actually means generally there's more atmospheric sort of distortion in the sky. And for astronomers, distortion is bad. It means the air is moving a lot or there's a lot of humidity in the air and it's making the light from the stars distort so not giving you a clear view of them so when you're looking at planets and things like that you're not going to get a crisp view because the atmosphere is moving about so the best nights are cold still ones but seeing a star twinkling in the sky is also pretty cool as you can see all the colors refracting and making it look almost sort of like alive in the sky there's some stars like Arcturus which just absolutely, it's like a bonfire burning away, all twinkling different colours. People say they see green, they see yellow, orange. So you're out in your garden, you're looking up at these stars, and you know that your kids are going to start asking you questions. So don't panic. There's a little guide here that I'm going to just talk about, you know, what are stars and things like that. So stars are pretty much, they're just like balls of plasma, really. I always say they're kind of like lava to kids, so, but in space it kind of acts weirdly as space is a strange place and they move about strangely and do things. They're absolutely huge. I mean, ours is what, 99.8% of everything in the solar system? Yeah. And ours is small. <laughs> some of the stars, if you see some of the videos on YouTube that show you the sizes, our star is literally like a grain of sand compared to some of these humongous <laughs> ones that are <laughs> yeah. out there. They're mad, aren't they? You can't even think how huge they are. I can't even think how huge our star is. So imagine the power <laughs> and the size of them. Uh, so talking of power, that's what they are. They're pretty much like nuclear power stations in space, fusion. They eat hydrogen and helium. So mostly when they do, they give off heat and uh, light, which funnily enough, you can see on the earth and you can actually feel on your skin. Now it's only taken about eight minutes from our star Sol to reach the earth but it's traveled over 93 million miles. When you put that into perspective, that it takes a rocket on average about eight or nine minutes just to get into orbit. Yep. Uh, that's just mind blowing. <laughs> so it takes us eight minutes to get into orbit and that's just that thin crust of our atmosphere, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This has traveled 93 million miles in that time. Yeah. That's just mad. And that's our nearest star. Like it takes four hours for the same light to reach Neptune. So think about how mad that is. That's the last planet in our solar system. So four hours, that's a phenomenal distance. So when you're looking up at these stars up there, just imagine how long the, the light has taken to reach us from those stars while you're out there. I mean, it's like billions upon billions of light years away from our gardens. We can still see them. And the funny thing is, is when you're up there looking, some left that star when like the dinosaurs were still around, some when the Romans were around. Some stars you see tonight, uh, oh, they won't actually be there anymore. They've actually gone, they disappeared, they've died long before the light has reached us, which I always think is mad. So when you're actually out there just looking up, people just look at the stars, but when you actually go into the detail and think about them and what they are, it's crazy. I love stars, I think, who doesn't love stars really? They're all out there, and as you know, they've they're all been put into constellations by our ancestors and all mythological creatures and heroes are all up there. So there's all that stuff to look up. There's some great apps. Stellarium's a good one that you can get out and you can literally look across and it will teach you a bit about them. So I always say good ones to try and find are everyone knows the plough or the big dipper or the saucepan as you like to call it. I like to call it the saucepan just because it's easy for me to explain where to look. Big dipper because apparently it looks like a roller coaster to the Americans. The plough to the English, 
it looks like a plow because we used to plow the fields a lot when we were uh, <laughs> back in the day not my day I'm not that old yet <laughs> but yeah it's, it's pretty much just a pattern in the sky that our ancestors kind of just invented and the plough is actually known as an asterism. It's not a constellation because it's part of a bigger constellation called Ursa Major, which is the Great Bear. Uh, there are a few things you can look for. So if you follow the handle of the saucepan, as I say, around, down into the saucepan and up to the last two stars, draw a line straight through them and that will point you to the North Star, which is Polaris. Now, a lot of people think it's the brightest. It's not. I think someone said it actually might be a, a variable, so it might change in brightness, but... Isn't it the first star that you see it in the night sky? The first one? Hmm. I think it depends on brightness, doesn't it? I know Sirius is really bright. Yeah. When that's up, you can see it, and Acturus as well. When I was a kid, they used to say that the first star you see is the pole star, which would be Polaris. I don't think it's as bright as some of those there, so I wouldn't, in my head, I'd be like, I don't think it is the first one that comes up. But it does, as you, it, it depends on the time of year, though. Yeah, I suppose it would. Because as, cha- as it changes, the, the, you know, there are there is a point where the bright stars like Sirius and all that aren't really up. So it might be at a certain time of year. Yeah, it might be the first one that pops up, and it's at a good it's at a good height. Mm-hmm. So it might be the first one if you're looking up. You'll see there. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah. Yeah, it might be because of that. Because all the others, as you say, they move around it which is the thing about the North Star Polaris, it stays still in the sky because it's perfectly aligned with like Earth's axis. So, yeah, it might be that that's the easiest one to kind of find and see because it's always kind of one of the highest up in the sky. If you watch it through the night, you'll notice, you know, give it a couple of hours, maybe an hour, you'll see that the constellations have actually kind of moved up and round and then round again and round again. So that's something you can see while you're out in the garden. Apparently it helped us navigate the seas, they reckon. They reckon the Northern Hemisphere because we had that star right there that pointed north. It was really easy for us to actually navigate and go, yeah, we know that's the North Star, we know where it is. And then they had to calculate, really, all the other ones moving around at sea because you haven't really got anything at sea that you can uh, (laughs) get your bearings by because, funny enough, water is constantly moving and changing. If you look on the handle, it's also got quite a cool thing. There's a second star. The second star in from the handle is actually uh, two stars, and it's an old Roman eye test. If you could see two stars just using your eyes, it meant you had good eyesight. Nowadays, it probably means if you can't, <laughs> you haven't got bad eyesight, it probably just means there's a lot of light pollution. Whereas back in those days, there probably wasn't a lot of light pollution in the Roman days, so they used it as an eye test. And if you could see two, it meant you're going to be an archer because you had good eyesight. And if you couldn't, then you're going to be a soldier at the front getting hurt. But nowadays, I think that's probably changed quite a bit because, you know, we have doctors that can do this for us now <laughs> and opticians rather than looking at a star. Uh, so yeah, so all the stars we see in the sky, or you're seeing when you're out in the garden, they're within our galaxy, the Milky Way. And we can only actually see like a, there's only, there's quite a nice map, isn't there, where they show the Milky Way, and then there's like a circle, a yellow circle around the area, and that's the all the stars we can see in the sky, just like with our eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's a tiny area compared to the whole Milky Way, really. You sit there and you think, oh, that's mad. So just imagine the distance of the stars in other galaxies, a lot further away, like Andromeda, which is our nearest one, or our nearest largest one. And you think, you can't actually see the stars there because obviously it's far away and they're all just blotted in. You can see the light still coming from it. And you can see Andromeda, 
You will probably need a slightly darker sky, so just venture out of your local city. They call it a naked eye object, which means you're not using any uh, equipment. So you can see it, like a fuzz in the sky. If it's a good clear night and you pop out of town, have a look. It's funnily enough, it's in uh, the constellation that shares its name. So Andromeda, go and have a look. Binoculars are fabulous for this, they're great. They're, they're a great tool that many people don't think about using for some reason. They think astronomy, you need a telescope and you need to go and get a big one. Nah, they're amazing. We call them like, they're, they're spotters. They're great for astronomers because they give a good, like, wide field of view and they slightly magnify the object well enough that you can actually see a wide variety of things out there, like star clusters. You can see a few globular clusters as well. These are lots of globs of thousands of stars. It's really like having two small telescopes in each eye. And the great thing about it is the light gathering is great because you've got two all coming into your eyes. I've seen a guy who's actually done that with telescope. <laughs> and I think Orion has made one. I'm sure it's Orion. They've made like this telescope thing that's almost like binoculars, but there's two of them. And I really want to try one because I think it'd be quite cool. But it does mean that you have to buy two eyepieces each time, which could get yeah. expensive. <laughs> yeah, it would too. <laughs> so, yeah, binoculars. Great to have a look. That's the easiest thing I'd say, just have a look at the stars and what's going on. I mean, Orion's up at the moment, it's easy to see, it's a big constellation, it's got three big blue stars in a line, that's his belt, and if you follow them to the right, you'll see like a V of red sort of stars, and that's the bull's head Taurus, carry on. You'll find a lovely group of blue stars known as the Seven Sisters, bright new burning stars. Taurus's ones, I believe, the V are slightly older, that's why they're sort of reddy and yellowy. So they're, you know, they're out there, they're up at the moment, really easy to see. If you go back to Orion's belt, just below, you may see a fuzz or a haze. This is a nebula, which is uh, just a ton of dust and mass and hydrogen swirling around creating stars and it's being lit up inside by brand new burning stars. New planets are being born there as well. We can't see them, you have to be NASA to do that. So speaking of planets, uh, what ones are up at the moment that you can currently see? Pretty much the only planets you can't see just using your eyes are Uranus and Neptune. I always say Uranus, I go for the American sort of way because if you say Uranus, there's always a chuckle by Mark or someone else in the room. It never gets old for some reason, <laughs> especially when you're teaching kids, they love it. So yeah, Uranus and Neptune, you're really going to need binoculars, minimum telescope to see. They're quite dim, but you can see them. Neptune at the moment is behind the sun or around it, so you're not going to see that at the moment. But if you're an early bird, get up in the morning this month. There's a nice line of three planets. They're up at around 5 a.m. till the sun rises, because when the sun rises, it'll you know wash them out. But just make sure you don't look at the sun, because we all know that it hurts your eyes and you could go blind. First one to come up is a nice blood red Mars. First to rise. And because our ancestors saw it, they named it after the God of War, because it looked like blood. It's actually just got a really dusty surface. It's covered in rust. The next one to come up is uh, the king of the planets, Jupiter, with its big red spots. It's a huge storm around the size of our planet. With binoculars, you can see it. You can see its four main moons as well. I think it spins within about 10, 12 hours, something like that. As it rises later in the night, you've got a good chance of actually seeing the red spot there. Every single one of its moons are different, so look at them, find the Stellarium, it'll show you which one's which, and then you can look up the moons and actually see what they look like and what they actually are, because some are frozen, some are massively like volcanic, it's all sorts going on. Saturn's the next one, so after that Saturn rises. It's going to be slightly lower, it might be harder to see at the moment because it'll be slightly nearer the sun as it's rising. But again, pair of binoculars, 
you can see it's rings I've done it you might need to like lean against a wall or hold your hands really steady but you can see the ring system there it's really cool they usually say 10 by 50 binoculars are kind of the best you can go bigger but the bigger you go obviously the heavier they're gonna get that's what I was gonna ask you about mm. you say 10 by 50 what exactly does that mean to people not in the know well the first number just means the magnification so it's times 10 so the thing is with that you don't want to go too magnified because as you kind of go in you lose your field of view so really for binoculars you want about 10 something like that and then 50 the second number they're just the aperture so the, you know the big parts that gather all the light in mm -hmm. so the first number is the magnification the second one is pretty much the size of the other ends which let all the light in so for astronomy really the bigger the better i think i've got some i got some 20 by 80s i believe i think they're 80s so 20 means they zoom in a little bit more but the aperture is huge so it's like 80 all that light comes in so you can see a lot more but with that you know it's obviously got lenses in it which are heavy so the bigger you go the heavier they get so you probably will need a tripod and things like that 10 by 50s are they are kind of the bog standard ones they're really good because 50 is enough to let a lot of light in and the 10 is enough magnification 10 by 50 is probably the minimum amount that you would need to see anything decent yeah you can use normal ones under that like if you've got some at home you're still going to see the stars and clusters and things like that but you want to see a bit more then yeah go for the 50s and the 10 you can go 10 or 20 but if you go 20 what's going to happen is some of the big clusters of stars and you'll lose it and you'll only be able to see like sort of like half of it and also as we know binoculars are quite hard to hold steady so the more you zoom in obviously every little movement is actually going to move you know 10 yeah. times that <laughs> so that's why you want to keep back a bit but yeah, I always say if you I mean I've just bought a cheap pair once, so I don't think they were ten by fifties, I think they were they were less than that. And that was just from like a hobby store, just bought some binoculars and just went out and had a look around. I use ten by fifty Optocrons, they're about sixty pounds, I think, something like that. So they're not that expensive as binoculars go. And you can use them during the day as well, because they're not too magnified. So you can use them to do your bird watching and things, so you can use them as a multi sort of tool. And to be honest, if you want to go bigger, you can but then you're just venturing more into sort of like that. I'd say that's more the professional kind of side mm -hmm. as opposed to if you're just out in your garden looking up at the sky. I mean, your kids aren't going to be able to hold <laughs> 20 by 80 steady. I can barely do it. So the binoculars are awesome. Definitely get them. So yeah, so we've done Saturn and you can see them, as I said, with it. Mercury is also rising, but it's moving higher as the month goes on. As we know, it moves quite quickly. It takes about 88 days to do an orbit of the sun. So it will rise quite rapidly. But it's probably best to find in sort of maybe the next month because then it'll be higher up but if you're like me and you're more of a night owl you can't miss venus i mean we spoke about it the last couple of months haven't we how bright and high and just absolutely stunning venus is at the moment the moon happens to be just going past her as well each night depending where it is where you can get some really cool views and shots of the moon and venus together which you know the two brightest things in the sky together she's really high up at the moment and the reason she's so bright is because she's got so much atmosphere that the light just like reflects straight off of her and that's why she's known as a goddess of beauty problem is as we know she's horrible inside <laughs> she will pretty much she's destroyed every sort of probe that's gone there hasn't she within what minutes was it yeah it's not been that long didn't they land one there and it almost died straight away 
Mm-hmm. Then the other one actually got to the surface. This was the Russians, wasn't it? Wasn't it the Russian ones? I've forgotten the name of them now. Venera 9 and 10. Venera, that was it, yeah. And that was in June 1975. And they'd had some various degrees of failure previous to that, as you can tell mm. by 9 and 10. But they had some other ones since then. Uh, I think they went as far as Venera 14, but they were the first ever first to get there. spacecraft to orbit and soft mm. land. Yeah, Wicked, because not many people have really... We haven't really gone and visited Venus that much, have we? That's you don't really hear so difficult. too much yeah. of it, do you? It takes a long time to get there, and... Mm when you do you need some really heavy duty equipment and it's like Mercury is quite hard they sent a messenger wasn't there there's a few and there's a few that went there and they said that because it's so small it's really hard to get into an orbit around it because of gravity and that's really bad and it's quite close to the sun which has a lot so the first one kind of they said that it went around didn't it the sun and as it kind of went past Mercury it would then you know take loads of pictures and do it then it would go around again and do the same and it would just as it flew past it would do it and it's still going around the sun, isn't it? That spaceship. Um, yeah, you it might is, have heard yeah. it's still there's still a little spaceship flying around the sun when. <laughs> so when you look at Mercury and you get to see it, think that there's actually still a, a spaceship that went to visit there and is flying around. The other one they crashed into it, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Well, they're hoping that the the new one that they sent up there, the Solar Orbiter. Mm-hmm. They're hoping that they may be able to capture Messenger, take a photograph of it. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> that'd be really cool. That's like history, isn't it? It's like going there. You, that's why I always think about Mars now. Imagine in like 200 years or something, say we go to Mars and we're there, the rovers and stuff that are still there and the bits and balls we put there will end up becoming historic. Mm-hmm. So it'll almost be like people will go be going to Mars to go and visit these <laughs> historic, well, almost like monuments and things. They will be. They'll they'll be made into like national treasures, you know, because the first settlers will use those as something to look back on and say, look, it's because of these spacecraft that we are here. Yeah. So, so they so. were the first steps of mankind getting there, hmm. which is really cool. So yeah, like Mars is obviously the most, you know, well explored planet. And then uh, Jupiter and Saturn, they had what Saturn had Cassini, didn't it? Flying mm-hmm. around it. What did Jupiter have? Juno. Juno. So each of them has had it. Really, the only ones that haven't really had any spaceships fly and visit them or anything was kind of Uranus and Neptune. There was only them. There was an al- there was a good alignment, wasn't there? I was like in the seventy-seven Voyager and that left, and they said there was a good alignment on the planets so they could slingshot and speed up. And it was a perfect time to go and get both of the planets, wasn't it? Uranus and Neptune. And they flew past, took pictures, learnt about it. But nothing's really nothing's really gone back, is it? That I know of. You're, you're the rocket man, you know. <laughs> so there's a total of nine spacecraft have been launched on missions that involve visits to the outer planets. All nine missions mm-hmm. involve encounters with Jupiter. 
four spacecraft visited Saturn, one spacecraft Voyager 2 also visited Uranus and Neptune. Mm-hmm. I believe that they've kind of visited all of them, but not, you know, it's just basically a fly around. Pioneer 10 in 73 was Jupiter and its moons. 11 was Jupiter and its moons. And Saturn and its moons. Uh, Voyager 1 and 2 have done Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. Galileo, Jupiter again. Uh, Ulysses, Jupiter. Uh, Cassini, Jupiter and Saturn and obviously they put a lander on Titan mm-hmm. um, New Horizons uh, Jupiter Pluto Europa Clipper is going to obviously go to Europa <laughs> there's another one planned oh my word a load of different small planets dwarf planets called Lucy that seems to be the thing at the moment isn't it they like to go and visit like the asteroid belt and things like that and dwarf because they think they're the leftovers don't they and they can learn a lot yeah, about yeah. how planets were made from you know almost like if you're making a cake you you put it all in a bowl you stir it all together you take it all out you build the planets mm-hmm. and what's left over in the bowl is kind of like you know all our asteroids and bits like that yeah so from them they sound boring apart from if of course one heads our way but <laughs> but really, they've got everything to teach us about yeah. the early solar system and how things were created. So Lucy's plan to go in 2027. You've got the, the Jupiter Icy Moons Explorer, uh, which is planned in 2029, which will obviously be Jupiter, the moons, and uh, they're planning to put an orbiter around Ganymede. Cool. And then you've got Dragonfly which is expected to land on Titan in 2034. There we go. Titan's a cool moon, isn't it? Titan is awesome. Because it's the only moon that's kind of got an atmosphere and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's similar to Earth, but not. (laughs) So Titan, is is that Saturn's moon? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, because I I, I always think of a trident, because Neptune, king of the sea, trident, triton. And then you've got Titan for Saturn, because it's a huge moon, isn't it? And that's why it's called Titan, Titan, because it's huge. And you can see it like you can see it with binoculars, I reckon. You see a little white dot, and I have seen it with uh, through a uh, telescope. You can actually see Saturn, and then there's this really bright white Titan. It moves quite quickly, doesn't it? Around, if when you're looking at it, actually within a day, it's moved quite a fair distance around the planet itself. Yeah, you've got a lot, there's lots of water, and uh, well, not what we would call water, but it's liquid uh, on on Titan. And um, I've just, I've just got this kind of a romantic feel of that, you know, beaches and stuff. But I know it it's not beaches and stuff. But uh, <laughs> no, you want me to sunbathe there? <laughs> I, I just got this feeling of you know going on holiday to Titan and, and he sat there on a the beach watching the rings of Saturn it'd be just oh that would be imagine uh, amazing. how close it is to it <laughs> I really hope one day we do get to actually instead of you know sit here with a telescope and look at them it's amazing but to actually you know go and be that close and actually get to see them and from another planet as well would look would, but that's sci-fi isn't it at the moment yeah it is that's totally sci-fi but how often do we look at sci-fi and go well hang on a minute 20 yeah. years down the line it's not so sci-fi anymore <laughs> there we are but yeah as we were saying all of these planets like Mercury and Venus they both have phases 
So as they orbit the sun, you actually get to see the phases as they move around because they're between Earth and the sun. So when you're looking at Venus, you might notice as the sort of months go on, she kind of like turns into a half, a crescent as she's going around, which is quite cool. Uh, not far from Venus is Uranus, but you will need a telescope to see it. So you've got the, the sort of the brightest planet and a dimmer one. It's around about 10 o'clock-ish from Venus, but you will need a scope to see it. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much, uh, you know, all the stuff that you can see there. I'll do a, a quick little bit here just for people, just because the best object of the month, I'd say, is definitely Orion. It's up at the moment, it's bold, it's full of wonders. So, as I said, if you start at his belt, the first you'll see is the three big blue stars. Get binoculars on them. You'll actually notice it's not just made of three stars. There's like a whole oval shape of loads and loads and loads of blue stars all around that area, which is quite cool to see. I think they call it a colander, a colander something, which is a nice group of stars. As you move down, as I said, below it, move down the line, you may see like a milky fuzz. The longer you look in a steady hand or with a telescope, you'll, you'll make out the great nebula there really easy. To its right is a really nice bright blue star called Rigel or Rigel or Rigel, depending on how, everyone says things different, I like Rigel, sounds like Nigel. Uh, if you move up to his left shoulder, there's a red star known as Betelgeuse, which was really bright, and we need to talk about this, don't we, quickly a little bit. Mm. It was really bright red, but it's been dimming, becoming fainter over the last couple of months, uh, and they, they, everyone's going, oh, it's soon to go supernova, we hope, but probably not. So Mark has actually just found some more information about it, because we thought it was dimming, and becoming fainter and then it because they do expand and go up and down depending because it's, it's an old star and it's starting to yeah. use up its yeah. sort of you know helium and all that stuff and and it's, it's a stuff. variable star isn't it so it's, it's known yeah. for changing its shape and all sorts of things yeah there's there's quite a few stars out there that do that uh apparently it stopped dimming again mm -hmm. and they seem to think that it might be some huge dust particles that may have caused the dimming. So there's something going around it. Yeah. That might have just happened to have been like transit it just like a planet does. So like we see, don't we? we see like Mercury and Venus can transit across the front of the sun. But because which... these objects are so big, it took time for it to, to move around it. So therefore mm -hmm. it seemed dimmer than, almost like eclipsing it, if you like. Yeah. So that's to me, that's even more interesting than it just, you know, dimming and going up and down because I was we we mentioned a sort of off air didn't we while we were chatting that there was a star that they found that did this as well and they thought it was maybe like loads of broken up bits of comet flying past didn't they and kind of dimming it down and then they thought it was dust particles some people said it was a Dyson sphere yeah. which is like a huge alien construct yeah that... an, an alien megastructure <laughs> as they were calling it yeah, which in theory is meant to go around the sun and kind of, you know, take all of its energy and use it, you know, for infinite energy and all that stuff. But it turns out it wasn't that. So I can't actually remember what they said it was. I think they said it was like lots of broken up bits or dust and stuff like that. Didn't it it was clouds. definitely something passing past it, mm. which was causing that. But there was a lot of it to make it blink as mm. much as it was. Yeah. So now, if, if you know, if Beetlejuice is doing that as well, that's something pretty cool. There's obviously, there's obviously things there that we haven't, you know, we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. So that would be great if they can. Well, they obviously are. They're they're looking at it and trying to figure out, and they can work out what it is. And yeah, so you know, keep an eye on Beetlejuice. As I said, 
top sort of uh, left-hand side of Orion, see, yep. you know, when you go out the next night, it might suddenly be brighter again. So it used to be one of the brightest ones there, didn't it? A really nice bright red star. Well, it had gone down... Well, when we mentioned it last month, I think John said that it had gone down to 38% of mm. its brightness, which is quite a uh, significant drain if you like mm. scientists are saying it's it's basically gone back up again and it's stable so okay. whatever it is has passed by yeah I'm definitely I'm going to have to go and have a look because when we first heard it in the group someone mentioned it I thought you know usually they go oh yeah it's dimmed a bit and it's you, you never really go out and see something actually physically by eye dim I thought oh it's only going to be like a little dimmage and NASA have picked it up on one of their you know their high-tech spaceships and stuff. But then I went out to the garden myself because someone said it had dimmed at this significantly and you could actually see it by eye, how much it had dimmed. And, you know, not even just, oh, yeah, it has a little bit. It's like, actually, it has a lot. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes to last month's show notes, uh, the, the main February edition, because I actually included... A GIF. It's actually pronounced GIF. A lot of people call it a GIF. A it's GIF, actually pronounced yeah. GIF. Uh, Sounds like a toilet cleaner, though. I know. That's <laughs> the, the guy who invented them actually calls them GIFs of it actually dimming. And so there's basically a photograph from the beginning of January 2019, and then there's another one from January 2020. So basically these two photographs have been put together and you can actually see the, the dimming happening. I think I sent it to you as well. I think mm, I sent it yeah. to you in the messenger. But I put it actually in the show notes on the, the main February uh, edition of the show showing that and actually showing you where Beetlejuice, Battlegeist, whatever you want to call it, is <laughs> uh, actually located. Yeah, definitely. We'll have a look at that. I'm definitely going to have a look because it interests me. So yeah, if you where Beetlejuice is and or guys, and as Mark said, you can here have it on the notes, so you'll be able to find it there. If you just go sort of like to the right of it, there's the hunter's head, which is there's a starter called uh, I like to call it Misa, M-E-I-S-S-A, which with binoculars, if you look at it, actually kind of has a mini Orion's belt of its own. So when mm. you look there at that star, there is another three stars in a line with it. Which is quite cool to see. So you're just like, oh, it's almost like a an Orion. Then there's a mini Orion, and maybe in that Orion is there a mini Orion? Almost like one of those mirror tricks. <laughs> it just keeps on going. And then above Beetlejuice, if you look up to his elbow, the number 37. I always I like this one. It's one of my favourite ones, just because it's crazy. Is written in the stars. It's a great one to wow the kids with or friends and that. If you can find it up there with binoculars, 37 written up there. And yeah, as I said, now the the nights are becoming less and the summer is approaching so this month is probably your last best chance to get out and see sort of the darker wonders of the sky till you know october is the next time when it all starts getting dark again but there is still plenty to see during the summer and all the planets start coming up more as well so i, I hope this is a little fun easy guide i wanted to make it just you know down to earth just a bit chatting about planets and things and what you can actually what you will physically be able to see just going outside into your garden and just looking up really and as Mark said, if you've just got a pair of binoculars, have a look. Said, uh, we'll put stuff on our Facebook group as always. I know TGP Nominal here put it all on there for you. Said, visit our website, www.ukastronomy.org. Yeah, just have a look on there. We update, we post, we'll happily get you out looking up at the objects over the coming month. So yeah, that's pretty much it. One thing I will also mention in that 
guide from February's main show, there's also a video attached teaching you the basics of understanding magnitude. So magnitude is how bright or how dim things are in space. And this this will teach you a little bit how, how to understand how that works. It's pretty much how we rate, as you said, like how bright things are. And, uh, you know, you get minus and plus and <laughs> and that's how you can find out about Beetlejuice because they might say oh it was a magnitude 5 and now it's only a magnitude 1 and you'll be like what are they talking about <laughs> well, I, I didn't quite understand that how that worked so I looked it up and mm-hmm. I found a really interesting video on YouTube so I attached that to the show notes so that people can get an idea of what people are talking about when they are talking about the magnitude of stars awesome so there you go you can watch his video grab some binoculars and now you can go out in the garden and be a part of you know back garden astronomy so anyone can do it anyone can enjoy it and you never know while looking around up at the sky you might spot something and be like what's that then you look it up you find out what it is and that's how i started and then you know then you'll be like oh i want to see more i want to learn more and that's the beauty of it. That's that's what I love about it. And that's why I'm here talking to Mark. Because if you guys can go out in your back garden and see all these stuff up there. Planets, galaxies, you know, Dyson spheres. <laughs> all those sorts of weird things that are flying about. So yeah, go and do it. Go and have fun. That's why I say grab a coffee or a cup of tea or a hot chocolate. And just go out there for an hour or so. Make sure you wear a warm coat. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy this. Just enjoy our skies while, while they're clear. Because we've had about six storms in a row, haven't we, recently? Uh, yeah, there's some, been some <laughs> major ones recently. But um, yeah, this, this is the reason why what we do at TGP Nominal and what UK Astronomy do are a really good partnership because Ross and the, the other volunteers at uh, UK Astronomy are astronomers, not obviously professional, but they, they understand the skies. And I and John are, I don't know what you could call us, to be honest, brother, because <laughs> we we know about the planets, we know about the stars, we know about the the science behind it. Yep. And I, I just know where they are. Exactly. So <laughs> you so, know exactly where to look and what to look for. Yep. And we know once you found it, what it is <laughs> what that is yeah and then you can also tell me how many people have visited there and tell me all the astronauts <laughs> all the spaceships so you've got that sort of side of it and all i've got almost i've almost got the physical side haven't i i stand out yeah. in the cold physically moving a tube with a <laughs> with a mirror on it to look at these things and then you go in the warmth and sit there going oh did you know ross that this is this 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 and all of this and this is visited <laughs> and that's gone there and i'm like i didn't but do you know where it is, Mark? No. Which is <laughs> cool. It's a, it's a good partnership. You, you know, what I don't know, you know. You don't know, I know. And what we mm-hmm. both don't know. We know people that probably do know. Yeah, we, we figure uh, it out. <laughs> Eventually. And, and we always take the mickey a bit, don't we? You know, there's always a bit of fun thrown in, hopefully. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that people will remember things if there's something that sticks out in their mind about things and I've mentioned this before when I was doing the the talks at uh, Moon Day last year that um, finding ways of teaching people about things in a way that it will stick in their mind is fantastic way of researching 
it's been a busy time for you regarding UK astronomy, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been, well, since January, February, <laughs> because, you know, we won a grant, didn't we, yeah. to get a uh, van to turn into a mobile observatory. Uh, we were originally going to call it Moby One, because of Moby One Kenobi, and it's a mobile observatory, but I've been going around van places trying to find which one's cool, which one we can get budget for, is anyone willing to help us and support us? So we found a, uh, a local one, funnily enough, it's literally just down the road from me called Brian Curry, and they do uh, VW vans, and they managed to knock off seven grand for us, which is an amazing amount, which means we can put so much more into it. And so, yeah, we've now gone and got, we've actually purchased now a VW Crafter. And I looked at the name and I thought, hmm, Moby One or Space Crafter. And it's kind of stuck now. I put it out in the group for a bit of fun. And now it's kind of become like the Space Crafter. I quite like that. <laughs> so I think that's, that's, and the guys who are converting it, bless them. I literally drove it down yesterday to the conversion guys so it's bought it's paid for it's sat on my drive for a little bit I drove it to an event with all my stuff in it's a really nice van it handles well and I think oh this is going to be cool so I drove it all the way down to Surrey yesterday and dropped it off to them sat in the back with them had a little chat they're called uh, Shred and Butter they do some fantastic conversions from what we've seen on their website now I mean I've been there and had a look and they're really cool and they're a good bunch of guys as well they're all chilled out down to earth so we sat there and a chat with them about what we're going to do to it and yeah it's there now waiting to be converted and they're going to actually they do it on their Facebook page so they show each day what they've done to it so you can kind of follow it and it means that our members and everyone who donated or supported us can also see it being converted as it goes. We can add some of that to the show notes as well because there is a link isn't there already set up. Yeah they parked it in their yard didn't they <laughs> and they put yeah. one picture of it didn't they and said uh, I think they called it the astronomy van didn't they yeah and yeah so there's a link there with a picture straight away so all I've got to do now is I've got to write a very almost like a list of right here's everything we decided to do here's the dimensions of scopes and stuff that need to go in they know what they're doing but they've, I've given them a little bit of free reign because you know if things are going to change and move about depending on how what they build and what can fit in and so I've kind of sat there and gone and so said, what did they say it was? It said it's going to be like a, an organism. It is going to change and move and evolve and as it gets built. So we can hopefully sit there and watch it through that link. I did put it on the Facebook group, so I imagine you'll probably put it in your notes now. Yeah. So yeah, if you're, if you're interested in seeing that, yeah, watch it, watch it evolve. And then I'm not sure how long it's going to take. They said it might be a month or two. They're also going to put all security on it because obviously... There are people out there, I hate to say that, you know, want to steal things. He's going to armour everything, put extra locks on, alarms, tracker, all this sorts of stuff so that, you know, we can do all we can to keep it safe. And uh, then they're going to get it wrapped as well. So it's going to have a UK astronomy wrap on it with planets and stars and galaxies. And I'm hoping, I'm probably going to put it out to the group, just get some of the actual group's photos that maybe won the photo competition that we do. Get some of their actual pictures on the van. I thought that would be quite nice. I mean, if that can be kind of morphed into what's already there, that would be great yeah that's what I'm trying to do because our logo's like well people don't know it's like a, a Mars isn't it mm-hmm. it's just a square logo is like the edge of Mars with UK astronomy in it which can then fade out into like space almost so then in the background you can have all the stars and the old galaxy and things here and bits and bobs so yeah it's going to be cool I'm looking forward to planning that side of it so yeah it's been busy like sorting out insurance and (laughs) all the fun stuff that comes along with a van as well so yeah really busy but exciting very exciting for me I kind of sat there and as you you know like five years ago I just had a 60 quid telescope in my back garden that I put on a bench and saw Jupiter that was it and now it's like I drove down yesterday in a van 
to Surrey that's going to be a mobile observatory so I'm going to be driving this van around all over the place just to inspire others to do the same and it's just massively humbling <laughs> the support we've been given. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, Spanhead Productions. .weebly.com That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com So Ross, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Yes, thank you for having me. I always enjoy our chats and a bit of fun talking about the skies. And obviously next month is going to be a bit different because we might combine the TGP Nominal Extra with TGP Nominal. So if there's anything for a sky guide or whatnot, it'll probably be included in the main show because... I think we'll get a, a, a wider audience because it'll be going out on the, the Yuri's Night Networks and all that kind of stuff. So, what have you got coming up this month, Ross? Uh, mostly schools this month. We've done all our big events last month. We did Dunstable Downs in 70 mile an hour winds. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> uh, we had Stowe House as well. That went really well. Love the girls there that run it. They're really, really cool. Uh, I did a Parks Trust one literally a couple of nights ago down in Milton Keynes. So all the sort of big, this sort of March is sort of like the wrap up now for the actual evening events. But we've got quite a few schools now that want me to go in during the day and have a chat with them and teach all the kids and do talks. So I do like five, six, seven, eight, nine talks in a row, depending on how big the schools are, teaching the kids all about the planets and what they can see. So that's, yeah, that's, that's the main things coming up this month. And obviously the, uh, the van, the space crafter so hopefully i'll be keeping an eye on that and chucking them bits of money here and there when they need it to keep it going and <laughs> watch that get built up and pop down myself to have a look so yeah lots of lots of other things and then i think later on in the maybe not the month but in the future we're going to be doing quite a lot of uh, fates and solar sort of stuff looking at the sun safely and teaching people about it so that'd be cool brilliant Listen out for the next episode of TGP Nominal. I'm not 100% sure what's going on with it at the moment. Hopefully, it'll be John's trip over to Boston for PAX East. If you don't know what PAX East, it's the Penny Arcade Expo, which is the, vid the massive video games exhibition that they have over in, uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, hopefully it'll be John's coverage of that. So that leaves me with one thing left to say, and that is thanks for listening. Take care one and all, and I'll speak to you all again real soon. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. 
If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.